8,000 years ago somewhere on the Arabian Peninsula. A bow hunter gathers his dogs and heads into the wilderness in search of game. Maybe some lesser kudu, maybe some wild camel. The area is verdant and rich with life. He leashes the youngest dogs to his belt, freeing his hands for the bow. This at least is one interpretation of a sandstone carving recently discovered in what is now Saudi Arabia. The dogs may have also protected the hunter from lions, hyenas, and leopards, various sundry carnivores who might have sized up the hunter as snack food. Maria Guaman, archaeologist with the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History in Germany, has spent her career searching for representations of animals in ancient art. It's she who uncovered the sandstone carving in the hilly region of northwestern Saudi Arabia, effectively an 8,000-year-old Instagram post. Oh, hello. Revealing biographical details of the ancient hunter. The depiction of dogs on leashes, if dated correctly, is prehistoric headline news. It could help prove that humans domesticated dogs thousands of years earlier than previously thought. And some researchers believe the artist carved distinct coat patterns, stances, and genders onto the canines, suggesting these were portraits of specific dogs, dogs the artist knew and loved. And that suggests the same bond between humans and dogs is so familiar to millions of us today. From then on, humans have purpose-bred dogs to meet human needs. They guard, hunt, herd, and ferret out small creatures and burrows. Oh, thanks. My pipe and slippers. And with upheaval, revolution, war, or any significant shift in the human story, the need for these purpose-bred dogs rises and falls, and with it, dog populations, for some breeds of dogs, to the point of endangerment or even extinction. I'm Bud Bacone. Join me, and we'll explore the ebb and flow of different types of dogs throughout history and what some extraordinary people have done and are doing to bring the breeds back from the brink. Oh, and, and if you wonder if that ancient hunter ever caught his prey, well, if he did, you can be sure who did not get the credit. from the AKC Archives. Mexico City, 1949. Frida Kahlo puts the finishing touches on her painting, The Love Embrace of the Universe, The Earth. Mexico, myself, Diego, and Senor Shalotl. In it, Kahlo holds her husband, the painter Diego Rivera, as a fat, naked baby. True to Kahlo's style, death and birth imagery intermingle, but it's also one of her more peaceful images. The couple are held by the Earth Mother, who herself is held in a celestial embrace. And in the lower left, sleeping on the wrist of the universe, Senor Shalotl, the artist's favorite dog. 
Kahlo named her beloved Sholoites quaintly after the ancient Aztec god for who the breed is named. The Aztecs credited the god Xolotl as a human figure with a canine head for a laundry list of circumstances, including fire, lightning, misfortune, sickness, deformities, and the underworld. A fitting companion for a painter whose work obsesses over bodily pain, miscarriage, and death. And also a painter whose work reveres with careful attention the symbols of indigenous Mexico. Frida Kahlo's life was filled with pain, and her marriage to Rivera was famously tumultuous, making it nice to imagine that, through all this, Senior Xolotl was by her side, providing comfort. It's quite a picture. On the artist's bed, in her famed blue house at Coyacan, Senior Xolotl is wrapped in Kahlo's arms, her head on his hairless ribs, her ringed fingers folded over him, her eyes closed. A love embrace. In 1959, a decade after Kahlo put the finishing touches on the love embrace of the universe, and four years after the breed was first registered in Mexico, the American Kennel Club took the breed, which they called the Mexican hairless, off their list. The breed was nearly extinct. The long decline of the Xolos can be traced to Spain's colonization of Mesoamerica. Yes, the ancient Aztecs who worshipped the dogs did feast on them on special occasions, but the Spanish devoured them to near extinction. Senor Xolotl is the perfect guide to the underworld. So, suppose we take a brief tour of breeds lost to the ages. All right, you stay with the tour. To your left, you'll see the Salish Wool Dog, extinct since around 1900. Originally popular with the Salish peoples of the Pacific Northwest, the Wool Dog was driven to extinction by, yes, colonization. Salish peoples used to shave these long-haired dogs in the spring for wool to make textiles and blankets, but when colonizers came bearing sheep, the wool dog went out of fashion and out of the pages of history. To your right is the enormous, mean-looking Dogo Cubano, the Cuban Mastiff. This dog had an ugly purpose, to capture enslaved runaways. Following abolition, demand for this breed waned. Yes, moving on. And here, the elegant Chien Gris. This hunting dog was used by the nobility before the French Revolution. Ah, but c'est la guerre. After the revolution, no one would be caught dead hunting for sport. Or, more to the point, if they were caught hunting for sport, they might wind up dead. These beautiful floppy-eared athletes disappeared but weren't completely forgotten. They lent their DNA to breeds such as the Weimaraner and the Otterhound. Thanks for coming, and please exit through the gift shop. Though, yes, extinction happens for all kinds of reasons, it's typically linked to societal disruption and upheaval. Yet, as some remarkable dedicated dog lovers have demonstrated, Extinction is not inevitable, which brings us back to the Sholos. 
Senior Sholoto and the other Sholos kept by the Calo Rivera set acted as ambassadors for the endangered breed. Yet by 1955, only one dog existed, known to the Federacion Canofia Mexicana, or mercifully FCM, that had the qualities and characteristics of a true Sholo eats quaintly. And what, you ask, are those qualities? That question just begs for an AKC breed biography. Maestro? The Sholo is an ancient natural breed molded by evolution rather than selective breeding. Moderate in all aspects of type and conformation, never extreme or overdone, the Sholo possesses a clean, graceful outline equally combining elegance and strength. The Sholo can be hairless or coated. The coated variety is covered by a short, flat coat. While it's true the hairless variety won't require grooming, they're not maintenance-free. As any of us who are follically challenged can attest, they often require sunscreen and clothing to ward off the elements. Fun fact, hairless does not mean free of allergens. Those allergic to dogs aren't allergic to their hair, but to their dander and their saliva. All three sizes are lean, sturdy, and well-muscled, with a spacious ribcage and moderate bone. In temperament, Sholos are calm, tranquil, aloof, and attentive. This is Mexico City, 1954. Here, you'll find the last lonely Sholo at the FCM show. What would become of this ancient breed with no other specimens to breed with? Extinction seemed a certainty. Ah, but enter Archduchess Felix of Austria. BBC director Norman Pelham Wright, who was not royalty, but he did have three names. In 1954, the Archduchess put her money behind an expedition led by Pelham Wright into remote Mexico to find other dogs that would meet FCM's breed requirements. In a small village in the state of Guerrero, the team found what they were seeking. They purchased 10 high-quality Sholoites Quintly, six females and four males. Toss in a few birds and bees, and in time, the Sholo population grew exponentially. Today, after the breed standard was widened to include miniature and toy sizes, there are estimated to be over 30,000 Sholoites Quintly globally. The breed was added to the American Kennel Club's non-sporting group in 2011. That Disney Pixar used a Sholo for the lovable canine character Dante in its 2017 film Coco may give their popularity yet another boost. In the film, Dante accompanies Coco to the underworld. Someone did their research. Given that the lot of certain breeds is tied to the ebbs and flows of human events, it's fair to say that the greatest disruptions to the human story can have a proportionate effect on the canine world. There are a few examples more profound than the First and Second World Wars in Europe. The war in Europe is over, and though the Leonbergers served their countries admirably by pulling ammunition carts, only eight of these majestic dogs remain. Sad news about dogs native to the snowy mountains of Japan. Due to extreme
extreme food shortages and atomic bombs at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it is nearly impossible to find any Akitas. Polish lowland sheepdog numbers have went up to about 150 globally. Fans of this shaggy breed fear their extinction. A happy postscript to that Polish lowland sheepdog story? Filled with love for their motherland, Polish-Americans Betty and Kaz Ogatowski would take up the shaggy breed's cause, and eventually, their numbers did rebound. But there's another great rescue story of a European breed in the interwar years, that of the Great Pyrenees. It's early June 1933. In Camden, New Jersey, the first drive-in theater is open. Guests get to sit in their two-door Fords or Cadillac town sedans with new V8 engines and watch Wives Beware, a lighthearted romp through a husband's marital infidelity. Were men watching this with their wives? We'll never know. At the same time, a few hours north from Camden, in Needham, Massachusetts, a very different spectacle is playing out. Somewhere on the plentiful pastoral property, a great Pyrenees dam named Blanchette whelps the first pure litter in America. Great Pyrenees are beautiful white or mostly white dogs, large and majestic, bred for guarding the flock in all kinds of weather on the steep mountain slopes of the Pyrenees. Fossilized remains of the breed have been dated back to 1000 BC. That remarkable lineage still comes 7,000 years after our friend, the ancient Arabian hunter. Though the popularity of Great Pyrenees was shrinking in the 1800s as human populations drove away wild predators, the breed's numbers plummeted in World War I. However, in 1931, during the interwar years, Mary Crane fell in love with these dogs. It's no small thing that Mary's spouse was Francis Crane, heir to the Crane paper fortune. This is the company on whose paper American currency was printed. Yes, they had a license to print money. On her Needham estate, Mary founded Basqueray, the first great Pyrenees kennel on this continent. Okay, almost weaned. <laughs> the pup's sire, Erdos, was an outstanding representation of breed type and would go on to earn his AKC championship in 1934. A pick of this litter went to a friend of the Cranes. Professor Will Monroe chose the firstborn pup, who was also the largest and most marked, a male. <laughs> Professor Monroe named his puppy Basque after the dog's ancestral home. Monroe raised Basque on his farm in Waterbury, Vermont, where he, uh, the dog that is, defended the property bravely from porcupine and bear. Monroe went on to be the president of the newly assembled Great Pyrenees Club of America, or GPCA. In 1936, he reported that 54 Great Pyrenees puppies had been whelped, signaling the reestablishment of the breed. It couldn't have happened a moment too soon. Charles de Gaulle, who led France through World War II, famously said, the better I get to know men, the more I find myself loving dogs. It's possible he was talking about the Great Pyrenees. In World War II, as France was under siege by Nazi Germany, these dogs hauled supplies of artillery over the Pyrenees Mountains to try and stave off German occupation. Despite their contribution, or 
perhaps because of it, their numbers dwindled gravely in Europe after the Second World War. Thankfully, in Massachusetts, Mary Crane's award-winning stock was fertile and replenishing, and the breed was saved. Where colonization affected the drastic decline of the Sholos and World War devastated the Great Pyrenees, the loss of the Sharpay was tied inextricably to a different sort of disruption, the rise of communism in China. It's the 60s in Hong Kong, still a British protectorate. Picture a math tutor leaning over the paper of a student. He commends the pupil's progress. The student's father, a dogfighter, finds himself a little short on cash to pay the tutor. Instead of money, the father gives the studious man a young Sharpay. The tutor, bewildered and smitten, hurries home with his new companion. Soon, he has fallen in love with the breed. And the tutor's name was Matko Law. Breed enthusiasts will know that Matko Law is credited with saving the Sharpay from extinction. To the north of Hong Kong, Mao Zedong and the Communist Party run China. As part of the Cultural Revolution, Chairman Mao has banned pet dogs. They consume too much food, the government argues, and they are symbols of Western capitalist decadence. In the 10 years from 1966 to 1976, the Red Guard killed tens of thousands of dogs. At this time, the Chinese Sharpay was not on the radar of American dog fanciers and had never been in the American Kennel Club registry. In 1973, Matko Law began breeding Sharpay as owner of Down Homes Kennel in Hong Kong. He sees what is happening in China and is worried about the breed, so he publishes an impassioned plea in Dogs magazine. He begs American dog lovers to help save the Sharpays, which he calls an ancient breed and the rarest dog in the world. Amazing or maybe not so amazingly, it works. In 1979, Life magazine features Sharpay puppies on their cover. The article highlights how rare they are and demand for the Sharpay skyrockets. By 1992, the year that the Chinese Sharpay is recognized by the American Kennel Club, the Chinese Sharpay Club of America registered over 75,000 individual Sharpay in the United States, a huge, unprecedented population jump. So far, we've heard stories about breeds that faced extinction and were preserved due to the scrupulous and careful efforts of breeders. But what about the breeds on the brink of extinction today? Welcome to Des Moines, Iowa, and the Otterhound National Specialty. It's 2018. We're here to learn about the preservation efforts of the Otterhound, a breed beloved by King John of Magna Carta fame and Queen Elizabeth I of, uh, well, uh, Elizabethan fame. As otters became increasingly rare in England and hunting them became outlawed, the breed grew endangered. Eventually, the otterhound grew more rare than the giant panda. Right now, there are fewer than 800 otterhounds globally. In this arena, there's a dog show going on. See those judges? They are examining the shaggy otterhounds to make sure they have the right kind of imposing heads, that they have strong bodies fit for a day's work, that their rough double coat and webbed feet are good for swimming. In general, they make sure the dog meets the breed standard. A spoiler alert, 
Grand Champion Deken Charles Howlaway's leader of the pack, call named Bogey, will take best of breed. In that arena over there, otterhounds compete in rally and obedience, but uh, here's what I wanted to show you. This is veterinarian and expert in canine reproduction, Martine Greer and her team. She's been here all day taking semen samples from otterhounds. In an effort to preserve this rare breed, the Otterhound Club of America has done a very cutting-edge thing. They started a reproduction bank, a kind of sperm bank for dogs to save DNA from today's finest specimens and to preserve it for future generations. And other national clubs of endangered breeds have taken notice. They're using medically advanced reproductive solutions developed for human beings to preserve endangered dogs. It's just another example of how human fortunes and dog fortunes are intricately linked. Since that day 8,000 years ago, when a hunter took his dogs and his bow into the hills to hunt, the robustness or endangerment of dog breeds has been linked to the robustness or endangerment of the civilizations that keep them. Senor Shaloto, are you with me? Ah, there you are. Investigate breed extinction, and you're sure to find the societal disruptions that instigated it. For Sholos, it was colonization. For Great Pyrenees, it was war. For, for the Sharpay, it was communist upheaval. Otterhound numbers contracted on account of the same overhunting and pollution that drove out the otters and have been further jeopardized by market forces and new trends in dog ownership. Now, on the bright side, a development in the history of human-canine relations is the evolution of a new kind of human, the champion of the endangered breed. This human breed's characteristics include diligence, fortitude, tenacity, an aptitude for marketing, optimism in the face of extinction, and a willingness to work with new technologies. Today, AKC breeders work hard to generate interest in endangered breeds, otter hounds, yes, but also dandy Dinmont terriers, Commodoric, Sussex Spaniels, and others that teeter on the brink of extinction. It's a big ask, but I wouldn't bet against them. Down and Back, Tales from the AKC Archives. Visit akc.org to learn more about all things dog and find bonus materials for this episode. Follow us on Instagram at American Kennel Club, on Twitter at AKC Dog Lovers, and let us know what you thought of the show. Founded many, many dog years ago, AKC is the recognized and trusted expert in breed, health, and training info. AKC is all about responsible dog ownership and dedicated to advancing dog sports. No humans were harmed while making this show. <laughs>